Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and just as we sang uh, from that psalm, we don't want to walk in matters that are too difficult and hard for us. And this is why we have the Word of God. The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children. And we want to be humble before God, and we want God to teach us from His Word. It is there that we find wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So may God grant us and bless us today with that attitude, not a haughty attitude that is trusting in our own wisdom, but a attitude of humility coming to the Word of God and seeking to know God in His Word. Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 to 6, but our focus today will be verses 2 to 6. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, asking for you to, Lord, give to us a understanding, Lord, a vision of your glory and of your honor in the person and the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, today we pray that you would show us his supremacy over all things. Lord, that we would not look to any man to save us, to redeem us, Lord, to deliver us from sin. Lord, even a man as great as Moses, that choice servant of yours, that was used by you for so much good. Lord, even a man like him cannot deliver us from our sins. There is only one, only Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that today our hope and our focus would be fixed firmly and solely upon him, that we would cling to Christ above all other things, and that Lord, we would hold fast our confidence firm until the end. So, Lord, grant to us today understanding, and Lord, we pray that this understanding would lead to faith, and that this faith would lead to perseverance and endurance in your ways, and it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're in this passage where the apostle is urging us to consider who Jesus Christ is. And by consider, he doesn't mean that we should just try Jesus out. But rather, he means that we need to seriously, diligently, soberly consider who Jesus is. We need to contemplate the identity of Christ and his work, for he is the one who has been appointed by God the Father as the only means and way of salvation for sinful men. We saw last week that Jesus is called both the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Jesus is the apostle. He is the one who was sent by God to reveal the Father to us. In the person of Jesus, God the Father has spoken to us with finality and with clarity. He has come from heaven to teach us the will of God, concerning the nature of God, concerning the way of salvation, concerning the way to worship God properly, concerning how to live unto God. We learn about God through the person of Jesus Christ who is the apostle of our confession. Also, he is called the high priest of our confession. Jesus was the one who offered the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of his people, the only sacrifice that could take away our sins. He offered his own blood. He shed his blood for us so that we might be purified of all unrighteousness. And he continues to serve as the great high priest over the household of God. We should not look for any other person to serve as a mediator between God and us. We need no other intercessor. We need no other sacrifice. We need no other high priest. Only Jesus can fulfill this role for us. He is the fulfillment of both the ministry of Moses, 
the apostle or prophet of God, used to establish in the old covenant the worship of God, and he is the fulfillment of the ministry of Aaron, who was the high priest of God, who administered the worship of God that was instituted by Moses in the old covenant. In the old covenant, these roles were fulfilled by these two different men. But in the new covenant, these roles find their fulfillment in the one man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And he's stressing here the importance of Jesus Christ, that we cannot turn away from him. We must hold fast to Christ. And in our passage today, he will compare Jesus to Moses for the sake of issuing a warning to us. We should never take our eyes off of Jesus. We should never forsake Jesus Christ or harden our hearts against him. He must be the front and center of everything that we do. No one should ever occupy a position above Jesus Christ for us. In the wilderness generation, the people that Moses brought out of Egypt, they rejected the authority of Moses and as a result were justly condemned by God. Now if that happened to them by rejecting Moses, who was a mere servant in the household of God, then what will happen if we reject Jesus Christ, who is not a servant in the household of God, but who is the son who is over and who rules the house? This is why we must consider Jesus. He must be our focus. And there are many things that will seek to cloud our minds, to take us away from Christ. But he must be at the forefront, his person and his work and his word. Our spiritual life, our eternal blessedness is dependent upon Jesus Christ alone. And if we turn away from him, then we will perish in our sins. We will not enter into God's eternal rest. So let's look today, verses 2 to 6, where he will compare and contrast Jesus with Moses. Jesus with Moses. We'll begin in verse 2. It says, He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. Here in this passage, he is displaying the supremacy of Christ over Moses and why it is so important that we listen to the voice of Christ. He begins by way of comparison, showing the agreement between Moses and Christ. And here he's focusing in on the office that he introduced in verse 1, that Jesus is the apostle of our confession. This office of apostle or prophet was an office that was occupied and possessed by both Jesus and Moses. As the apostle of God, he says that Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him. The chief quality of an apostle, of an ambassador, of a messenger is that he be faithful to the one who sent him. The apostle is sent to speak on behalf of the one who appointed him. And if the apostle does not faithfully relay the will of his superior, then he fails in his role as an apostle. He is not faithful to him who appointed him. It says in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 2 says, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. The Apostle Paul there says that he is a steward of the mysteries of God, meaning the mysteries of God, the knowledge of the will of God has been entrusted to him to make these mysteries known to people. Well, what is required of a steward of a mystery of God? That he be found trustworthy, that he be found faithful, that he trustworthily and faithfully delivers these mysteries to the people. Well, in the same way, Jesus was the apostle of God, and he was faithful to him who appointed him. Was Jesus faithful as an apostle of God? Did Jesus accurately communicate the mind and will of God to us? Absolutely. He did it perfectly. He perfectly fulfilled the role as the supremely faithful apostle of God who has delivered to us with finality and with ultimate clarity the very will of God. He only spoke what his father told him to speak. John chapter 12. 
John 12, 44 to 50. John 12, 44 to 50 says this. And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who will judge him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. There he says he does not speak on his own initiative. He speaks only what his Father tells him to speak. And in speaking, he has faithfully relayed to us the commandment of God. This commandment being eternal life. That we should believe in Christ for the salvation of our souls. So Jesus was faithful as an apostle to him who appointed him. Notice there as well, he was appointed to this. Jesus was appointed by God the Father to this role. Jesus was not some rogue madman who appointed himself. He was not some self-proclaimed prophet, some self-made man who went out and declared himself to be the apostle of God. He was not pursuing fame and fortune and a name for himself, but rather he was appointed unto this role and unto this task by his father. He was not exercising his role as apostle outside of the will of God on the basis of his own whims and fancies, but he was called by God for this. Not a self-proclaimed, self-appointed apostle, but given this role by the father. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. Predicts through the prophet Moses, the apostleship of Jesus Christ. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. There, when the people came to the mountain and they saw the fire, they did not want to go near it. And this was good for them to see that there needed to be an intermediary. There needed to be a mediator between them and God because they could not go and draw unto God on their own. And here, Moses was this mediator in a temporary sense, in a symbolic sense, but his mediation between God and the people was not the ultimate mediation that they needed. He predicts that the Lord will raise up a prophet like Moses. That God himself says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you. And there is no prophet in the Old Testament, not even Moses, obtained this office by self-appointment. Prophets did not appoint themselves to this position, but rather it is only by the will and calling and the appointment of God. And so it is with Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is the supreme prophet of God, yet he did not take this for himself, but it was given to him by his Father. God appointed him unto this task of revealing the will of God to us. It says in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, 1-6, to it says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God, in order to offer both gifts 
and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the arrogant and misguided, since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. And no one takes this honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Just as it was with Aaron the high priest, he did not take this honor for himself, but he received it in a calling from God. God appointed him to the position and role as high priest, and the same with Moses. Moses did not take the honor for himself of being the prophet to deliver the people and bring them out of Egypt. God gave that to him. God appointed him to this. Well, so it is also with Jesus Christ. Though Jesus has glory and honor with the Father for, from all eternity, he did not take this of himself, but rather it was given to him by the Father. God the Father appointed him to be the one to come and to reveal the will of God to us. So he was faithful to him who appointed him. How faithful was he? We'll notice what it says next. As Moses also was in all his house. Here the comparison is to Jesus and to Moses, showing that both of them were faithful. Moses was faithful to God. Jesus was faithful to God. Both Moses and Jesus exercised the office of prophet or apostle in faithfulness to God. Both of them were faithful in God's house. God's house here being an image for God's people. God's people, God's church, those to whom the worship of God has been committed. Both Moses and Jesus did exactly what God instructed them to do in God's house. Notice Numbers 12, 6 to 8. Here, this is God's own commendation of the ministry of Moses. Numbers 12, 6 to 8. Numbers 12, 6 says, He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all of my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Likely this is the passage that the apostle in Hebrews is referring to and alluding to all throughout this passage. And there the Lord himself, by the own mouth of God, confirms that Moses is a servant, and that Moses is faithful in all of God's household. Now, while it is true that Moses did fail when he struck the rock, but when he did this failing, this was in relation to his own faith and his own obedience to God. And because of that unbelief, he was forbidden from entering into the promised land. But in terms of the execution of the office... The office of prophet or the office of apostle. In terms of instituting the worship of God for Israel in the Old Covenant, Moses was universally faithful. He did not add to God's word and he did not subtract anything that God commanded, but he instituted God's worship exactly the way that God prescribed it of him. He did not take any liberty or any license in what he instituted for the people. So when, for example, God gave him the laws concerning what they could eat and what was forbidden, Moses didn't say, well, I really like eating pork, so let's leave this one off because I want to keep that in there. He didn't do anything like that. Whatever God told him, that is what he delivered to the people. And this is why it says, thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did. Exodus 40, 16. Moses did according to all that God commanded him. He faithfully delivered God's word to his people, to God's house. He withheld nothing from him. He did not tweak it. 
He did not modify it. He didn't do any of those things, but he instituted it just as God commanded him to do. So he begins then by comparing Moses and Christ, showing the agreement between the two, both of them being apostles, both of them being faithful over the house of God. And this is very important because we cannot try to put Jesus and Moses against one another. We cannot try to put the Old Covenant and the New Covenant against each other or the Old Testament and the New Testament or the law and the gospel. We cannot have disdain for Moses. As Christians, we cannot reject Moses. We cannot reject the Old Testament, but we must hold Moses and all of the prophets in high regard. And of all of the prophets in the Old Testament, Moses is the chief prophet. He is the head of the prophets, the supreme prophet of the Old Testament. And whatever Moses instituted cannot be hastily and carelessly set aside. Right? The apostle is establishing first a consistency between true honor of Moses the prophet and true honor of Christ who is the Son of God, who is the ultimate and supreme prophet. So that the person of Moses and the person of Christ are not in disagreement, but they are in perfect harmony with one another. And this is necessary because, again, he's dealing with Jewish Christians. He's dealing with those who are being tempted to leave Christ and go back to Jewish rituals apart from Christ. And one of the false charges that was brought against the Christians after the day of Pentecost was dishonoring and rejecting the prophet Moses. This is what they were charged with many times, even in the book of Acts. It, for example, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, verse 12. Acts 6, 12 says, And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man is incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Here, this is Stephen. And when he is being falsely accused, he is, they are saying he's going to destroy this place and alter the customs that Moses handed down to us. Also, Acts 21 Acts 21, verse 21. Actually, let's start reading in verse 20. 21, 20 says, And when they heard it, they began glorifying God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you, that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. This is the Apostle Paul when he comes to the church in Jerusalem. After much of his ministry, this is what is being said about the Apostle Paul, even amongst the believing Jews, that they have, he has this reputation of altering the customs of Moses. So this is an issue, a topic that they were dealing with very gently, right? That had to be dealt with in the proper way so that there was not this false charge that they hated Moses, rejected Moses, rejected everything associated with the Old Testament. Were the early Christians, was the Apostle Paul, was Stephen, were they rejecting Moses? Are we rejecting Moses today? Because we're not going to the temple Right? You don't have, standing up, delivering the message today, someone who was born from the tribe of Levi. You are not bringing an animal today, and we're not offering animal sacrifices for our sins today. And here in a little bit, we're going to have food, and some of it will include pork. And so we're not following the food laws that were established by Moses in the Old Covenant. Are we sinning because we are not following 
various institutions and rituals that were established by Moses in the Old Covenant. Because those things were established. And we cannot easily set those things aside. And yet we are setting them aside. We are setting aside various aspects of the Old Covenant. And we can only do that if we have someone greater than Moses, a greater authority than Moses instructing us to do so. So is there a prophet greater than Moses? Is there one who has risen, who has preeminence over Moses, and who has the authority to alter those things that were established by him? And the answer is yes. That's the argument he's making all throughout the book of Hebrews. This is the chief argument that he is making throughout the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the ultimate supreme prophet of God, the one sent by God to reveal the will of God to us and to teach us how to worship God. This is what we read earlier from Deuteronomy 18. Moses announced it beforehand to the people that God would raise up a greater prophet than him, the ultimate and supreme prophet, and that he is the one that we should listen to. And when Christ came as the ultimate apostle of God, we should not be surprised that there are elements of the worship associated with the old covenant that would be set aside and that new ordinances would be established by him in their place. And this is where, again, we have to be very cautious, very careful, but in regards to what is set aside and what is not set aside. This is where many heresies come from. Because people either want to incorporate everything from the Old Covenant, and so they go into legalism, or they want to reject everything from the Old Testament, and then they promote licentiousness. We have to understand, and we will see this, if we are careful in our study of this book, we will see what he means by being set aside, or being made obsolete. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13. It says, and when he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Right? The Old Testament anticipates a new covenant. Well, if there is a new covenant, then it shows us that the old covenant is not perfect, that the old covenant was not intended to be the means by which people were purified from their sins, and that something else would arise. Well, when there is this new covenant, when it comes, then what came before it would be made obsolete. And now it is growing old, and it is ready to disappear. The Old Testament prophets are anticipating the coming of the new covenant, that when the Christ would arise, there would be a change in elements of the worship of God. And this change is not a rejection of Moses. This change is not a repudiation of Moses. This change is not blasphemy of Moses, but it is in fulfillment with what Moses and the other prophets predicted and what they anticipated. Would Moses be upset? Would he be running around fretting and losing sleep among us because we're not offering animal sacrifices? Because we don't have a priest from the tribe of Levi or from the house of Aaron here. Because we're eating pork and other meats that he said were unclean. Would he be upset that we're not going to the temple and worshiping God? And the answer is no. Because Moses knew that those things were temporary. That they were there for a time and season. And that when the Christ would come. The Christ, who is the fulfillment of all of those things, that these things would no longer be needed and they would be set aside. He knew that the temple would not be needed. The priesthood of Aaron would be abolished. The animal sacrifices would be done away with. And Moses was not putting his hope in the physical temple. He was not putting his hope in his brother Aaron as the mediator between him and God. He was not putting his hope in the blood of an animal to take away his sins. He knew that those things symbolized someone who was coming, someone greater who would be the ultimate sacrifice for sin, the ultimate priest of God, the ultimate temple of the Lord. He was looking to Christ for the salvation 
of his soul. And again, no man had the right to change what Moses instituted, unless that man is greater than Moses. Only an apostle superior to Moses could make these things obsolete. So then the question, is Jesus greater than Moses? That's the question that must be answered. Verses 3 to 4. And this is not denigrating Moses to say Jesus is greater than Moses. Because Moses knew that. He would say yes and amen to that truth. Verse 3. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. He, Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Though Moses was faithful as a prophet in God's house, he does not have more worth and more glory and more honor than Jesus. Jesus is superior to Moses. Jesus possesses more glory and honor than Moses. And he does this in many ways. First, Jesus was sinless. He never once sinned against God. He was perfectly faithful, not only in the office of apostle, but also in his own faith, in his own life, in his own obedience to God. He never once sinned against God. He always believed God. He always did the will of his Father. Can the same thing be said of Moses? No, not perfectly. Though Moses was a godly man, though he was a righteous man, though he did do and seek the will of God, he did not live a perfect life, but Moses sinned against God. Numbers 20. Committed a great sin against God, so great that Moses was forbidden from entering into the promised land. Numbers 20, verse 9. says, So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. There it says that Moses and Aaron both did not believe the Lord, and they did not treat him as holy. He had a moment of unbelief, a moment of disregard. He did not uphold God. In this way, he took the name of God in vain. There in front of the people, and he was punished for his sin. So Moses was not a perfect man, but Jesus was. Jesus never sinned, and in this way, he is greater than Moses. Also, Jesus did not originate from the earth. Jesus was the man from heaven. Though he was born of a woman, though he was born into the earth, though he lived and walked on this earth, he did not originate in this world, but existed for all eternity as the Son of God in heaven. Can the same thing be said of Moses? No, Moses was a man. He was a man of the dust. Moses originated from the earth. He did not come down out of heaven. He did not exist for all eternity with God the Father in heaven, but Moses originated on this earth. 1 Corinthians 15 makes such a distinction between Adam and Christ. And in terms of natural regenerate or natural generation, Moses came from Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 to 49 says, So also it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. 
As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Adam was born of this earth. And Moses, according to his nature as a man, came from Adam. Therefore, he was born of this earth. But Jesus did not originate on this earth. But rather, he is the second man who comes down from heaven. Though again, he was born into this earth. He was born into this world. He did not have his beginnings here. But rather, he came from God. Moses, born of Adam's sinful race. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. Thirdly, the identity of Jesus is far superior to Moses. Moses was a mere man. Moses was flesh and blood. Moses did not possess a divine nature, but only a human nature. Jesus also had a human nature, but Jesus was more than merely a man. Though he was fully man, he was also fully God. He is the Son of God who is clothed in human flesh. John 1, 14 to 18. John 1, 14 to 18 says, speaking of Jesus, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For of His fullness we have all received uh, grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. These statements could never be applied to Moses, to any other prophet, to any other man. No matter how righteous a man, no matter how honorable a man, no matter how faithful that man was to God, we could never say of Moses that Moses was God in human flesh. We could never say of Moses that grace and truth were realized in him. We could never say of Moses, no one has seen God at any time, but the only God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Moses was used by God. God communicated grace and truth through his message, but Moses was not the embodiment of grace and truth. To see Moses was not to see the exact representation of God the Father. However, all of these things are true of Jesus Christ because Jesus possessed the same divine nature as God the Father. Therefore, to see Jesus is to see who? It is to see God. It is to see God the Father. Here, he illustrates the superiority of Jesus over Moses by way of comparison. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, he compares the house to the builder of the house. The builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. Right? Say there is a house, and this house possesses great beauty, great craftsmanship, great glory and honor. And we recognize that the house did not construct itself. The house did not come into being by its own will, but the house is the product of the mind, the skill, and the work of the builder of the house. To praise the house, to recognize the glory and honor of the house, is good and fine, so long as that recognition leads you to give glory and honor to who? To the builder of the house, to the one who constructed it. The one who built the house is worthy of more glory than the house itself. Now, in relationship to the house of God, to the household of faith, in relationship to this comparison between Moses and Jesus, who is the builder of the house and who is a member of the house? Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses is a member of the house of God. Moses did not through his own strength, build up the household of God. Moses did not die on the cross for our trespasses. Moses was not raised from the dead for our justification. 
The precious blood of Moses was not given as the price for our redemption. Moses is not the cornerstone upon which the household of God resides. But Jesus Christ is. And not only is Jesus the builder for us. Not only did Jesus shed his blood for us. Not only did he die for us and was raised for us. But who else did Jesus purchase by his blood? Who else did Jesus die for? Who else was he raised for the dead for? For the sins of Moses. Moses was a man with a nature like ours. Moses came from Adam. Moses was dead in his trespasses and sins, just like the rest of mankind. Moses had his sins, and Moses needed the forgiveness of sin. He needed redemption. He needed adoption into the family of God. Moses became a member of the household of God on the basis of the grace of Christ, on the basis of the person and work of Jesus Christ, by his life, his death, his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. Moses was a member of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house who took Moses and made him into a stone and built him into the temple of God just like the rest of us. And just like anyone who has ever been built up into the household of God, we do not come into God's household through our own strength, through our own ingenuity, through our own power. We come through Christ, through Christ alone. Ephesians chapter 2, 11 to 22. Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. All of these things that are being applied to the Gentiles in terms of their being built up into the temple of God these apply universally to everyone, from Adam to the end of the world. Anyone who is a part of the household of God, they are so because of Christ, His grace and mercy. Ephesians 2, verse 11 says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having been put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into the temple of the Lord, in whom you also are being built up together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. All Christians, whether near or far, all true believers, whether Jew or Gentile, whether before the coming of Christ, during the life of Christ, after the coming of Christ, all of us have our standing before God on the basis of Jesus Christ. His person and his work for the forgiveness of sins. And no one has ever been reconciled apart from Christ. And that is true even of Moses, even of the man Moses. Hebrews 9.15 Hebrews 9.15 says, for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. His death is not only for the sins of those living in the new covenant, but also for the sins committed under the first covenant, under the old covenant, during the time before the coming of Christ. It's true of all of us, and it's no less true of the prophet Moses. So yes, Moses was given a unique role. 
He obtained an office that we do not possess. He was a prophet of God. And even amongst the prophets, Moses was first and chief. Yet whatever Moses became, either as a Christian or as a prophet, all of it came to him by grace through Christ, who is the builder of the house. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10. Well, is that true of Moses? By the grace of God, Moses was what he was. Only by the grace of God did he become that kind of man. And what about 1 Corinthians 4, 7? Who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? What did Moses have? What good thing did he have? What grace did he have? What standing before God did he have that he did not receive by the grace of God? And he received it through who? Through Jesus Christ. It says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Moses was a faithful branch. He was a useful branch that bore much good fruit to God. But was Moses the vine? Or was Moses a branch on the vine? Moses was not the vine. He did not do any of this on his own, by his own strength, his own wisdom, his own power. Only as he was connected to Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, Moses could do nothing. But through Christ, he was able to bear much good fruit to God. So should we end our focus on Moses? Or should we look to the one who was the source of strength for Moses. Moses is the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. Jesus is worthy of more honor than Moses. Verses 5 and 6. He continues this comparison. Now, Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. What was the role of Moses? Well, he says he was faithful as a servant in the household of God. Moses was a servant or a slave. Now, again, Moses was one of God's choice servants. He was a faithful servant that God entrusted great responsibilities to. In terms of the Old Testament, we could say that there was no other servant that God entrusted so many responsibilities to. And in this role, he was faithful as a servant to God. And so we should have proper respect, proper appreciation for Moses and what God accomplished through him. He performed his role as a faithful servant. But notice he says that he did this for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. He did his role as a servant. He instituted the worship under the old covenant as a testimony of something that was going to come and be revealed later. Moses knew that his ministry, his position, his worship that God instituted under his charge, all of this was a testimony. It was a sign and a symbol of a greater reality that would be revealed on a later day. So he was entrusted with authority as a faithful servant of God to put things in place to keep the people in anticipation for the coming of Christ. But those things were by nature temporary. They were fitting as a testimony of what was coming. But once the Christ has come into the world, then that testimony is no longer needed then those things are ready to be set aside. They're becoming obsolete and they are ready to pass away. This was the purpose of the ministry of Moses and the worship instituted under his stewardship, a testimony of things that would be spoken later. And Moses taught that to the people. And yet many times they did not listen. John chapter five. John chapter five. This is why Jesus says what he does in John 5, 39 to 47. Because the Jews of his own day 
who were rejecting Christ were clinging on to Moses, thinking that Moses was on their side. But who will be the one who will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn them for their unbelief and their failure to follow Christ? Moses will, because they weren't listening carefully to Moses. They were not interpreting him properly. John 5, 39. You search the scriptures. What scriptures is he talking about? He's talking about the Old Testament. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that testify about me. Remember what we read? It's a testimony of things to come. They are testifying of Christ. And you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in yourself. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? Do not think I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Where did Moses tell them to put their hope in Moses? What passage in the Old Testament, in the first five books of the Bible, did Moses say, put your hope in me? He never said those things. So who taught them to do this? Well, Moses didn't teach them, and if Moses didn't teach them, and if God didn't teach them, then their father taught them. And who is their father? Their father is the devil. They did not see Christ in the Old Testament Scriptures because they failed to listen carefully to Moses. They did not heed his instructions. And this is why Moses will rise up and condemn these unbelieving Jews because he told them these things He told them that these were a testimony of things that would come later, and yet they made it about something else. And this is the consistent testimony of the apostles all throughout the book of Acts. They are constantly telling the people that all of the prophets testified of these days. Moses and all of the prophets told us that this is what would happen. They all testified of the coming of Christ. That a prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses, would arise. And he is the one that we should listen to. And then here in our passage, Hebrews 3, we have another proof that Jesus is superior to Moses. Moses is called a faithful servant, but Jesus Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Is there a difference between a slave and a son? Absolutely. Moses was a slave, but Jesus is the faithful son. Moses was never called the son of God. Moses did not possess deity as Jesus. Therefore, God the Father never called him his only begotten son. He never addressed him with this honorable title. Moses was a son by redemption. He was a son by adoption. But he is not the son of God who possessed a divine nature. This is the same argument he made in chapter 1. In Hebrews chapter 1, he makes this argument in reference to angels. Now he's making the same argument in reference to Moses. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 says that he has inherited a more excellent name than they, a more excellent name than the angels. And what is the name that Jesus has that the angels do not have? Verse 5, to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? And again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions." And you, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will all also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits? 
sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Did Moses, or did God the Father ever say to Moses, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Did God the Father ever say to Moses, I will be a father to him and he shall be a son to me? Did God the Father ever command his angels to worship Moses? Let all the angels of God worship Moses. Did he ever say to Moses, your throne, O God, is forever and ever? Did he ever ascribe the creation of the world to Moses? Did God the Father say to Moses, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? God the Father never spoke such things to Moses nor to any other man. But who has he said all of these things to? He has declared all of these things concerning Jesus Christ. And why Jesus and not Moses or any other prophet or any other man? Because he and he alone is the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. Moses was a servant, a faithful servant, a choice servant in the house of God, but he never held the title or the honor of being called the Son of God. He is not the Son of God over the household. Jesus is the Son of God who is over God's house. Therefore, he is worthy of more glory and more honor than Moses. And as the Son over the house, does Jesus have the authority to set aside certain aspects, certain rituals and ordinances instituted by Moses for worship under the Old Covenant. Does Jesus have the authority to declare all foods are clean? He does, and he did such in Mark chapter 7. Does Jesus have the authority to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, to the Lord's Day, to the day of resurrection? Does Jesus have the authority to abolish the sacrificial system to set aside the priesthood of Aaron, to set aside the temple and the animal sacrifices. He has the authority to do so. And following Jesus' authority is in no way, shape, or form denigrating or taking away from Moses in the proper honor and respect of Moses as a servant in the household. It is following proper procedure and protocol because who should be given more honor in the household? The slave or the son? The son should. And Moses, as a faithful slave, who would he tell us to listen to? He would tell us to listen to the son. He would say, why are you coming to me? Go and listen to the son. And everything I say is in agreement with him. Moses' attitude would be the same as John the Baptist. He must increase and I must decrease. That's what the Jews were unwilling to believe. They did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. This is a very different attitude than what we read on Wednesday night. We remember from Matthew 21, 38 and 39, that the vine growers, it says, when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Would a faithful slave, a faithful servant in the household ever say, let's kill the son? Let's kill the heir of the house so that we will be the possessors, so that we can have it for ourselves? A faithful slave would never do such things, would never behave this way toward the son. The faithful slave rejoices when the son enters into his inheritance. He loves the son just as he loves the father. Yet this is exactly what the unbelieving Jews did to Jesus. And they did it in the name of Moses, under the pretense of being faithful to Moses. But were they truly faithful to Moses? No, they were unfaithful to him. That's why Moses will judge them. Here in our passage, he ends with an admonition. An admonition. He's been talking about the household of faith. And it is a great privilege to be a member of God's house to have Jesus, the Son of God, over this house, to have such preeminent servants as Moses and the prophets and the holy apostles. But who is a member of the household? Who is a true member of the household of God? Because many people claim to be members of God's house. 
Nearly everyone in Oklahoma claims to be a member of the household of God. But we are members of God's house only if we meet a condition. And notice that condition there in verse 6. We are his house if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. We must cling to Christ until the very end. We cannot abandon him. We cannot forsake him. We cannot turn away from Christ. For this world, to avoid persecution, to avoid suffering. This is the same as verse 14. He says, we have become partakers of Christ. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. The one who endures will be saved. By endurance, we will gain our life. Not that that endurance is the basis of our salvation, but it is the endurance that proves that we have true faith, that we are true members of Christ, that we have truly become partakers of him. We cannot have temporary spurious faith. We cannot be stillborn children in the household of God, but we must be living children, those who have life in them. And what is one of the evidences that we have life in us? We hold fast to our hope firm until the end. We do not forsake Christ. We do not give up. He is exhorting us to endurance. We cannot walk away from Christ. We cannot forsake him. Otherwise, we will perish. That's, remember, in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, Jesus had many disciples, many followers, many people who were claiming to be a part of Christ, claiming to be his disciples, to be his children, to be his followers. But notice what happened to them. In John chapter 6, verse 60, It says, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And then verse 66, as a result, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Did they hold fast their confidence and boast of their hope firm until the end. No, they withdrew and they no longer followed him anymore. And so they prove what kind of faith did they have? Did they have true faith, the faith that can save? Or did they have false temporary faith that does not produce endurance, that does not persevere until the end? They had false faith because they were false disciples They were false members in the household of God because they did not continue with Christ, but they walked away from Him. Now, what do we claim? Do we not claim to be a part of God's household? Do we not claim to be disciples of Christ? We say we have confidence, but we must maintain our confession firm until the end. There are many people who make a beginning in the Christian life. They make loud boasts and claims of being members of God's house, but they prove themselves to be false children because they ultimately walk away. We can't be like that. We must hold fast to Christ. We must cling to Christ and never forsake Him. And this is what he will explain further in the passage that we'll look at next week. So we'll save that for next week. And with that, let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, today, Lord, seeing, Lord, how good you were, Lord, how good you are to reveal to us your own nature, Lord, who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that he was faithful over your house. Lord, he was faithful as an apostle. He is faithful as a high priest. He is faithful as a king. Lord, over the household of God, and he does all these things perfectly, Lord, for us, for our benefit, Lord, for our salvation. Lord, we know that he is worthy of more glory than any man, Lord, even a man as illustrious as Moses, Lord, who you used in such a mighty way, Lord, such a godly man, such a gifted man, so faithful to you, 
Lord, in what he did and how he discharged his duty before you. And yet, Lord, he is not worthy of more glory and honor than Jesus Christ. For we know that Moses is a member of the household of faith, but Jesus is the builder. He is the one who purchased Moses by his blood. He is the one who died on the cross for his sins. He is the one who was raised for Moses' justification. And Lord, certainly if someone like Moses could not be saved by his own works, then Lord, what hope do any of us have? Lord, to draw near to you on the basis of what we have done. Lord, we are sinners before you. Lord, our sins reach up to the very heavens. Lord, we are guilty before you. And we see that it is only through Jesus that we can be made right in your sight, that we can be reconciled to you, and that, Lord, we can have our sins forgiven. So we thank you, Father, for sending your Son into the world that we might live through him. Lord, we thank you that he is faithful as a son over your household and that he always does what is right and pleasing in your sight and that he lives to make intercession for us. Lord, that he cares over his people. Lord, he is the good shepherd and he doesn't lose any of his sheep. But Lord, he will save us, Lord, and bring us safely into the heavenly kingdom. Lord, we know that even our perseverance in these things is not based upon our own strength. Lord, for apart from you, we can do nothing. So, Father, we pray that you give to us what we so desperately need. Lord, we do not want to be like those who are temporary disciples. Lord, those in the wilderness who had Moses as their teacher. Lord, who heard the word of God. Lord, who even made very loud professions about what they were going to do. Lord, saying that all that the Lord commands, we will do. And yet, Lord, no sooner had they made such loud professions, Lord, within a matter of days, Lord, they were rejecting your word. Lord, they were building a golden calf. And they were worshiping, Lord, that which was contrary to your command. So, Father, we don't want to be like them. Lord, we have made a profession. But Lord, we want to hold fast to our confidence. Lord, hold fast to our boast, firm until the end. Lord, and so prove ourselves to be your children, to be members of your house. But Father, how can we do this, seeing that we are so weak? Lord, seeing that we have no strength. Lord, that we cannot so much as even lift our little finger in service to you. Lord, apart from your grace and mercy. And so, Father, we pray, we come to you today, Lord, begging for you to be merciful to us. Lord, begging for you to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, begging of you to, Lord, make us pillars in the household of God. Lord, make us choice stones. And Lord, build us up into the temple of the Lord. Lord, only you can do it. And so we ask for you Lord, to do for us what you and you alone can do. And Lord, we will give you all the praise and glory. Lord, knowing that you have done it. Lord, we will boast in Christ alone, seeing that our salvation from start to finish is based upon his person and his work. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen.